Well, hello again. Welcome to Staging a Podcast. I'm John, and I'm here again for part two with uh, my best friend, Stephen Clark. He uh, works for Lakeland Bases, and he builds at home on his own. You can look him up, uh, Stevie G Guitar Workshop, uh, on Facebook. Um, when we finished last episode, I put him on the spot and made him name five albums, his top five albums. Um, so, you know, we had talked about his uh, his growth in uh, wanting to become a musician, actually becoming one, you know, playing playing locally switching from guitar to bass and uh that's where he uh he pretty much left off was Mm -hmm. you know getting into he was going to start a band with his brother and possibly you know thinking about becoming a studio musician and yeah other stuff so uh well where where do we go from there bud well i mean uh him and i played together for a few years a little little thing we called moon swine and uh, I was I was playing bass on that, and you know, pretty much right, really where we left off is kind of where that fizzled out. And I I still wanted to play, but him and I just kind of got you know, we got bored with trying to we we just couldn't find the musicians together. You know, we he we both had too much stuff going on in your personal going lives. on our personal lives to like find time to keep playing regularly together. We had a hard time finding musicians, uh, but I had decided that I just wanted to be like. I didn't want to, I wanted, of course, be go out and play live and stuff like that locally, but I kind of more or less wanted to find something that was a concrete job in play, in music, in the music industry uh, that at least had something to do with instruments and playing. Right. And so, you know, I kind of thought, well, what are the chances I could become a studio musician? Or at least, like, a musician for hire and stuff like that, because those, those are very common, you know, the hired guns kind of thing. So I... Like wanted to upgrade all my gear, so that way it's like I don't have to rely on anybody else having you know a good setup for me to plug my bass, my you know terrible bass amp into to put it up to you know playing you know live value kind of volume. And I found my rig, found my amp, put myself out there on Facebook saying like, look, I'm a bassist looking for work. Uh, you know, if you've got a band or you want to start a band, let me know. Here's some of my influences. And I found a guy, uh, had had a few responses, quite a few responses. And I, I like when I put that out there, I didn't think I was going to be as picky as I ended up being. But a lot of people who were hitting me up were saying a lot of music that I just didn't really feel like playing. I was like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Kinda, which that's a lot kinda, of responses. Which that's kind of hard, you know, like, oh, hey, I want to be a bassist for hire, but oh, no, I don't want to play. I don't want to play a Fleetwood Mac cover band. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to do that. No. But uh, I had a guy hit me back up, um, and he wanted to start a band, and it was very much along the lines of the same kind of music that I like and stuff like that. And, you know, Allman Brothers, Little Feet were kind of like where we really, like, hit it off, and some Pink Floyd and Doors kind of stuff. Just general good jam band-based rock and roll. And uh, we started playing together, and it was, like, it it was working out pretty – it was working out really good, and we started, like, all right, well – and he had very good connections. He runs a – online magazine uh nwi jam and he's a sound guy for with a lot of different groups uh locally and he knows a lot of the folks around here so he has connections with a lot of musicians who may be free at the time so 
that started to feel real good. And uh, it ended up getting kind of backburnered a little bit um, due to COVID. But it was the weekend before COVID that uh, my wife and I, with her parents, uh, want uh, we went to C2E2, which is the uh, Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo. Like the Chicago's Comic Con, essentially. And um, they wanted to go because they had never been. Huge nerds. Love them as well. <laughs> huge nerds as well as me um i had been a couple of times and i loved it it's a really cool thing if you are into any sort of like the nerd culture you know film and tv and music and uh there was uh there's this podcast or well t- uh twitch stream uh critical role which is uh voice actors uh streaming their D campaign and they were big fans of it, and they had been listening to it for a couple of years at that point. And they were coming to do a live show, a uh, live, like, one-off campaign show for one of the panels. And they really wanted to go to that. And so it was like, okay, well, I'll definitely go, even if there's any sort of panel or anything like that that I really want to go to. I just want to go just to have fun. Did you and make sure to bring your 20-sided die? I didn't have any yet. Oh, okay. I wasn't in D&D yet. I am now. For sure. I'm, I'm a fan, and we've started a campaign on our own. I'm a monk, human monk, undead human monk. Um, but uh, I digress. So uh, we go, and uh, while you know, right before we go, uh, it was announced that Adam Savage was going to be one of the panels. And I'm a huge fan of Mythbusters, grew up with that. Like he, Mythbusters and him and Jamie Heineman really did a number like, for just my love for uh, steam, uh, science, technology, engineering, blowing stuff up, arts, math, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, pretty much, but scientifically, and while building the things to blow up, like it, it, it touched a lot of grounds for me. I loved it. It was a huge influence for me growing up, and uh, so I, of course I just instantly saw that. I was like, that's the panel I want to go to. That's the one like. We're getting our premium passes. We get, uh, which means we get one free, like, premium panel, which that one was. Otherwise, it's a paid ticket to get into some of those. I was like, that's the one I'm going to for sure. Interesting, because, you know, I've been to uh, Cubs conventions, and their panels are pretty much just. You'll get to the grand ballroom at two o'clock, and right. you get to hear Fergie Jenkins talk about, mm-hmm. you know throwing however many strikeouts yeah it, it, it's it's uh it, it's very much the same thing as like cubs convention just swap chicago cubs with star wars D and anime gotcha like it's it, and batman frankly like a lot of batman i love it it's beautiful <laughs> but uh like i knew that was the one i wanted to go to we go uh we go we have a great time and i think that was the last panel of the day and uh, theirs was the Critical Role one was the first one. So they go to that one. I meet up with some friends that I knew were going. We walk around. I meet up with my wife and her parents afterwards. And we walk around and, you know, the convention uh, floor and stuff. And then we go off to the Adam Savage one. Me and my wife do. And it was it, like it was a lot of, you know, of course, him talking about Mythbusters that was a lot of the questions that were asked were having to do with Mythbusters and having to do with uh, his other shows like Savage Builds and stuff like that, which similar vein. But then a lot of people started bringing up his YouTube channel. And I didn't realize he YouTube he did anything on YouTube at all. 
they're all talking about tested uh and his you know one day builds and all of his like shop talk and stuff like that and i'm like this sounds amazing i'm going home tonight and i'm looking this up and i did and i started watching it and it was wonderful like just watching him build props watching him weather paint you know a suit of armor or watching him you know build a whole new stand for his uh 20 drills that he has like it's all it's all right up my alley i loved it and then you the youtube algorithm kicked in a little bit there i was like oh well you like makers and before this you know you watched live bands you watched rig rundowns and stuff so it's a you love rock and roll you love people who make things let's put the two together okay yeah and then i got you know i, I started getting some luthery stuff and from that was crimson guitars which, you know, the, a lot of the stuff before I found Crimson was just fun to watch, like time-lapse people building guitars. And I was like, wow, this doesn't seem too difficult. These folks are just general, you know, woodworkers, very simple kind of carving, very simple. You know, you got a straight edge and a saw. You should be able to make a neck, seemingly. Turns out, yeah, if you got a straight edge and a saw, you could pretty much make a neck. And uh, so I... That, that stuff was interesting enough just to watch, but then it was when I found Crimson Guitars. And, like, Ben Crow is, first off, a huge nerd of vintage tools, a huge aficionado of, you know, of old, good steel, and how to use it in the right applications. And he's also, he, he loves to teach, which is where the channel ended up coming in because, you know, he was just a guitar builder. And initially, the YouTube channel was made to kind of help promote his company, his very, very young company at the time, which was literally him in a garage, just him in a garage. Okay. And even at that time, though, he was selling lessons to people. He was having he was having apprentices essentially come in, even in his very early days, and work out of his garage with him. And he would teach him how to build guitars. He would teach him how to use hand planes and chisels and stuff like that. And uh, eventually he got to the point to where it became a company and he bought a facility. You know, he rented space, rented a workshop space. The videos got a little more complicated and then they expanded through that space even more. Now they are, and then they opened a school, like an actual school, instead of just renting benches out and renting out, you know, individual lessons. And now they're at the point to where they are the biggest Lutheran school in europe if not the world they're huge they have you know a dozen students every, a dozen students every week half of them are continuously rotating on week-long classes the other yeah. half are on like three-month classes they are a tool company now and you know at at this at this point two years ago this was all well established so you know i'm watching the backlogs of his videos and he's just making these beautiful instruments showing you every step of the way of how to do it. Um, and every single video, he's kind of touching more and more on specific subjects. Like, you know, in one build, he really, like, focuses on how to, you know, master fret jobs. On another build, he's like, you know, how to really, like, uh, line up a neck to a neck pocket and to the bridge and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, it, it became very easy for me to understand it. And, I mean, you would know firsthand from all the years of having you do my setups for me how hard it was for me to really grasp how to do some of that intonation setup and how to, you know, really judge the relief of a neck and, you know. Yeah, and it's, it, you know, um, being 
the way that I do things, I'm pretty decent at doing, but explaining is a little a little difficult. Yeah. So, but also I you know I, I mean, mean you'd even I mean you'd be standing over my shoulder and I'd be like okay so now I'm gonna do this and you're like why and I'm like uh, because I have to. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and it, well, it was that, and it was also just a retention issue. I guess it just, I, I didn't do it w- enough. I didn't see it enough to really retain the information. Whereas, yeah. you know, watching Crimson Guitars YouTube, I was able to, like, watch multiple videos in a day of him just carving necks. Well, and that's fallen down the YouTube rabbit hole. I yeah. mean, that's just, that's just how it happens with, with anything. Well, but and, and also, it just happened to coincide with the fact that a week after C2E2, everything shut down. Like, that was the last thing to go on in Chicago and at McCormick Place. Everything else completely shut down the week after that. So there was no social life to be had anymore. And the band that I was trying to start, we had to put it on hold. We couldn't, you know, we we all fell into the, you know, stay-at-home kind of stuff That's with each other. And so I had nothing better to do in my time off was to sit there and watch YouTube videos and uh, watch Crimson Guitars, like, all of his hundreds of videos at that point. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, this this actually seems pretty cool. This actually seems like something that is attainable at this point. Like, this would be a cool hobby to have, you know? I think it's funny because it's about that time when you hit me up and you're like, yo, man, you know where I can get some wood? <laughs> and, well, that's a loaded question, you know? All yeah, right. Uh, it was probably more or less like, hey, uh, do you have a preference on tools? And you're like, yeah, if it uh, if it works. <laughs> Not really. No. Just shop Stumac. And I'm like, yeah, but are there other places? <laughs> but, uh, not, to, not to throw shade at Stumac at all. They do have fine products, and they do run a really good company. But Yeah, but unfortunately, like, I never delved that far into workshopping building. Right. I'm like... Well, I know that you can find some things on Amazon. And yeah, yeah. Like that's that's where I just got my fret ruler and but, yeah, just ha- that. But having like Crimson Guitars and him being so proud of his products and really like digging deep into his mindset and uh, understanding that he truly loves premium products. Like he he likes to provide top shelf stuff. And apparently, he's good at marketing himself because it gotcha. It did. Oh, it nailed me. Well, it nailed me because, I mean, I was able to see, you know, just within the first few things that I got from them, the comparison between some of the stuff that you had from, like, Sumac and other Amazon choices. No, pretty much all my stuff's from Amazon. I, I yeah. Like, I don't do enough work to where I want to spend the Stumac money. Right. You and know, that, and that was the thing is, like, for uh, what, what caught me on to Crimson and their tools and stuff like that was, like, was the Stumac money. It was, like... Okay, so they usually have, like, multiple tiers, multiple levels of their products. You know, you have your kind of, uh, your, your bargain, your... Uh, Entry-level. Entry-level kind of stu- uh, products. And then you have your premium stuff, which is triple the money, double, triple the money as your beginner stuff. But the, the stuff that, the price point that they're selling the beginner stuff at was what Crimson was selling their products at. And they didn't have multiple tiers of, like, beginner and expert level kind of stuff. They just had 
high quality was like was their stamp yeah this is what you get and for the same price as like the lower quality level of the stumac stuff so it was, it was kind of obvious to me it's like okay for the same money i get for the same money as their beginner stuff i get the high quality level stuff that would be three times as much from some of these other companies yeah so it was and that that is because of his level of love for uh vintage tools and his high expectation for quality and not caring about huge markups in order to make a buck you know that's and it's because of that that his tool company is take has taken off you know crimson guitars tools and the school are where the money is made for his company it's not the actual guitars that they make yeah like it's it is their tools and it is their school which is kind of funny because you know you know as he said many times 15 years ago he want he was just a guitar builder that's he just wanted a guitar factory he just wanted to be the next paul reed smith more or less and it turned into him essentially being the next Stuart mcdonald yeah which is phenomenal you know it's it, yeah but, well and you know i mean that's life isn't linear yeah i mean and what you think first isn't what you're necessarily going to do and that's one thing that I really love about doing this podcast is, you know, um, I talked in the first episode and it's like, yeah, you know, I toured the world for six years, eight years, but, you know, now I work for an insurance company. Right, and he's like, but now I just have a vanilla day job and I... But I still love I making still music. And, yeah. It, you know, and that's the thing is, you know especially when we're young, you know, and we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. It's you start playing music and your idea is I'm going to become a rock star, right? I'm going to tour. I'm going to become a rock star, but that's well, your thought process at that time is that's your only option. If yeah. you're going to do anything musically, that is it is play, write, record and perform. But there's, it's just, there's so much more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's funny how, with him it went from well i'm gonna do this one thing but hey you know what this actually works out a little bit better for me and right and that's what ended up happening was that i was like well this sounds fun at least to be able to learn and you know if anything now i can perform my own setups i could do my own fret jobs i could do that kind of stuff you know it could be a hobby to where every once in a while you're like you know what i want i want a telecaster i'm not going to spend 600 bucks on a decent telecaster I'm going to spend 200 bucks on the supplies and just make it myself over the course of like six months and then have a really unique handcrafted one of a kind guitar. Right. You know, kind of thing. So then you, you know, um, so you were getting into this and, you know, now you're, you're starting to buy the stuff. You're starting to buy woods and you essentially turned your garage into a, a small wood shop. Pretty much. Yeah. I, we, you know, me and my wife have a one-car garage, and at the time it was just storage, and it had a, uh, like, it had just a little like countertop with two cabinets butted up against it, and I was just using that to, you know, tinker around with, and then I turned, you know, I tore that apart, turned it into an actual workbench with, you know, uh, with like woodworking uh, vices and stuff like that. Um, I was slowly starting to acquire tools. I mean. In February of 2020, I had, like, your general household tool set. I had, you know, a set of ratchet and sockets, 
some pliers, some, you know, a couple screwdrivers, a, couple a hammer. Screw, yeah, exactly. Very simple, your household appliance stuff. But within a year, I had, you know, a full set of chisels, full set of gouges, full, you know, I have four hand planes, about five different hand saws, uh, every form of measuring things that I could think of that I would need, uh, a whole rack of, I think, 18 different files, like all sorts of different now, did you stuff. Go, did you go as far as getting, because um, I haven't been to the garage in a while, um, have you gone so far as getting things like um, band saws? Yeah. And, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that, and that was, uh, that was about this time last year. That I actually went out of my that I actually like I uh, pulled the trigger. I found a bandsaw uh, through Facebook Marketplace. You know, used you know decent condition bandsaw for relatively cheap. I bought that. Uh, got new blades for it and stuff like that. I went out and got a brand new uh, spindle sander, which is like necessary for guitars because it's a it's it's a round. It's you know a sander in the shape of a cylinder. Okay. Yeah, he, he that, he's, is, he's, that moves up that moves up and down while he's holding it spins. a he's holding a Java can right now. Yeah. So it, 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 and it, it's it like might as well be made for guitars because it, it has all the different sizes of spindles. You get all those. You get to be able to sand uh, very nicely all those different shapes and uh, curves on a guitar. Yeah. So you can do like, like the in, the inside of horns and inside of horns, everything, every little okay. bit of a guitar. It's it's a fantastic tool. Yeah. Um, then of course, like you know, a nice orbital palm sander. Uh, my dad had a router that he never, a hand router that he never used because he always uses his table router setup. He never had a reason to have just a handheld plunge router because he does more. My dad's more of like the cabinet making kind of woodworker, and he's been doing that for 30, 40 years. You know, he was doing that with my grandfather before I was born. With it, you know his father-in-law, and then he was doing other small little projects, and then lately he's gotten back into it. And, and yeah, and that's just a hobby too. I mean, yeah. he's not making dough off of it. No, no. I mean, he he he, he does off little oh, projects here and there. Somebody will ask him, you know, for instance, a friend of his is asking him to make a a shadow box for uh, some possessions of uh, her late husband and stuff, and he's been working on that. Yeah, one of the things uh, that, one of the things that I love that your dad did because. Uh, Steve's dad, Dave, is really big in the American Legion mm. here, uh, here in town, and well, just outside of town. And um, the picture of the boot with the rifle in it, with the helmet on top. Yeah, um, that's got a, the soldier's cross. Is that what that is? It, I, I don't. I think know. it's referred to as the soldier's cross. Okay, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure but. that it had a name, but anyways. Um, Surprise is not on here. Oh, so anyways, um, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty sweet that he, uh, you know, he's made those into mm. like a flat base silhouette yeah. form that you could put into your uh, yeah he, he into did. your front yard, kind of like some yeah. people do with the Sasquatch and whatever else. Right, yeah, he he made us. It was initially for uh, he was making a couple of them for a, a Fourth of July float or something like that that they had, and everyone loved it so much like it made a really cool really like it's an obvious stencil like when you first see it you're like what is that but as soon as you actually like look at it head on you're like oh oh cool like it, a lot of people really liked it and they asked him if he would make more for them than paint them up so they, they could put it in the front yard and yeah i think like, those oh, for sure like i think that's pretty cool yeah. but so this so, this should lead into you building your first guitar yeah it was 
I I was like, well, at, at worst, I'll have more tools in the house, and I could just actually like play with, you know, I can make things, regardless of if it's going to be guitars or if it's going to be dice boxes and picture frames or whatever. I'm like, I just want to make stuff that looks like a lot of fun. You know, watching Adam Savage do it, watching other makers like Bourbon Moth and uh, other YouTubers and stuff like that, and then now Crimson Guitars. And I decide, like, okay, I want to make a guitar. You know, I just let, let's try it out. Let's. It seems simple enough. Um, I want a Stratocaster. Like I've wanted a Strat for. I've wanted a new Strat for many years. I've always been somebody who uh, only usually has like one guitar. You know, I've always like I've had my Parker for over a decade now. I've only had the one bass up until recently. I've had one acoustic guitar. Like I've always, I, I've had a variety of instruments, but uh, you know, I look, I look to my left here, and John's got six guitars and a bass on a uh, on a rack, and right behind me, there's a Paul Reed Smith on another guitar ca- on another guitar stand with another guitar that he's building. Plus, there's a couple of cases sitting right in front of me that have guitars, and a couple of acoustic guitars on top of that, and then like. Yeah, and um, then al- also I, there's amplifiers left and right. There's pedal boards. There's pedals wrapping around me. Like I, I have a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's a good problem to have. Like a lot of people, that that's how a lot of guitarists are. They they love to have all that variety. Whereas I've always been somebody who's like, I want that chameleon of an instrument, which is why I loved my Parker because it was. It does so much. Yeah, it does yeah. so much. It's got the push pull pots to go from single, you know, single coil to humbucker. It's a very chameleon esque, you know, guitar, and I've always loved it. But I am a Fender guy. I am a Stratocaster player. That was the guitar I grew up with. I, I wanted another one. I really wanted one. I hadn't had one since I was a teenager. And you wanted a good one. I wanted a good one. I didn't want to take the time and effort to go shop for one. So I instead you did the time and effort to build one. Yeah. So I, was, <laughs> I think it, I think it's funny because like it probably we, cost me like half as much money to build it than it did to actually go out and buy a decent one. Right. I was gonna say we could you know you could have pulled together twelve hundred bucks and we could have went to oh, a few yeah. different shops all, and found the, your strat. But all instead. the money. Oh, dude! All the money I spent on tools alone. Just the tools alone, I could have easily bought. Yeah, uh, I could have easily bought a player series, right out of the box. You know, like hundred percent, no problem. But yeah. at that point, I was committed to the idea. I'm just gonna make it. You know, I want this to be a hobby. I was not happy with my job. I was not happy. Like, I, I I'm very happy with my wife. Very happy with my where my life is at. But my job just sucked. I just I I was working in the restaurant industry is the most underrated and stressful work anybody could do. It really is. Like, it, you know, being a first responder and those kinds of things, you you know and everybody else knows that you have a difficult job because you're going to be dealing with difficult people all the time. We know because we've all been there. A lot of people, if they I mean, ha- heck, the, my, uh, my coworkers have it really hard because they have to deal with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, like, it, a lot of people who have been lucky enough to avoid working in the restaurant industry have no idea just how like miserable miserable uh, and gruesome that could be especially like at, at a pizza joint too where we are slinging out yeah where we're slinging out hundreds of orders a night for people and we're you know I'm the guy operating the four big old stone ovens that are in the middle, no, not even just the middle of July. In the middle of January, it's 95 degrees in that kitchen. 
like much less 110 and 120 in the middle of the summer like no matter what it's a gruesome job and i yeah and then of course you're dealing with the employees of those places who tend to be very flaky very hard to work with and young and inexperienced and um i mean i love i love cooking i really do i loved you know i mean i was i'm I'm a good cook i'm i'm a damn good pizza cook that's for sure i can uh can confirm and uh but like I, so it's not that i hated the job it's not that i hated the work it just it was i was over it it was done with and i wanted to find you know i needed to find an outlet and that was the hobby of guitar building was like okay let's let's at least let's put that energy and that angst into this so i you know spending my days you know or my evenings and my uh weekends working on this guitar started it in i think if i look back on the pictures it was about april when i first like started uh processing the lumber for it and by labor day of 2021 so like the first week in you know the first week of september i finished the guitar i strung it up for the first time and every step of the way every step of the way it was amazing like even just gluing five pieces of wood together for a neck blank and then planing that down into a nice you know flat piece was oh that was that was very satisfying and then cutting that into a neck shaped thing oh that was awesome and then actually carving the neck out of that like getting that smooth even shape that c shape on the back of it and then you know moving on to the body and just taking this big old chunk of ash cutting a body shape out of it uh, like every single step of the way was immensely satisfying yeah and then the moment it all went together you know applied the applied the finish to it you know strung it up or you know installed the hardware strung it up and sat back and played it not set up not intonated like it wasn't it was buzzing like crazy but it was because you know the neck had no relief on it it wasn't intonated the string heights were set or anything but it played i was able to tune it i was able to pick around on it and it didn't suck and i like had tear like a teary moment just a real choke up moment like holy crap i did this yeah and that's you know that's a proud thing and that's a nice thing like for people who create whether mm -hmm. whether they're you know building a shed building a guitar writing a poem, writing a song, yeah. making a movie, you know, when when you get to that point and it's done and it's good, it's like yeah, it's I did that. That's freaking powerful, I freaking man. did that. That's freaking power. It's so powerful and like it, it it was at that moment that I realized like after all of that like after all that work that wasn't that difficult, but it was hard enough to be fun to, you know, twist my brain around and learn how to do all this stuff mm -hmm. like on the fly while I'm doing it. Cause I mean the year prior to that, I watched a lot of crimson stuff, but as I was leading up to actually starting that, I went back and rewatched all those videos again. And this time with like a notebook in my hand, taking notes and like even like just simply writing down, carving a neck. And I'd put that specific video on it just yeah. so I can go back and reference that specific video and stuff like that. And like, it was so satisfying, and then a couple of days later, coming here and getting it wired up, you know, putting a rudimentary setup on it, and sitting here and plugging in and actually playing it, and hearing, first off, that the pickups were nice, 
Yeah. That's it. Yeah, uh we I found a uh I don't want to call them bargain basement, but I mean they're a really affordable uh, uh, obscure offhand company. Like no I nobody's ever heard of these people. Yeah, and I found this pickup company and their pickups are cheap as all get out. Hey. I've never tried them before his guitar, but all I heard was great reviews and I'm like, dude, hey, and, spend fifty bucks and get these pickups. Dude, <laughs> and and shout out to Dragonfire pickups. Because for real, I'm going back to them. Like the next guitar I build is going to be is gonna have P nineties and I'm gonna go to them. And see how their P90s are because they're single coils. They're, and I'm pretty sure these were just, they were either the Tex, they weren't the Tex-Mex style. They might have been like more of the SRV, or they might have just been, uh, like it, a vintage spec. They might have just been vintage, uh, or whatever. I'm not exactly sure, but like, they had like just in their Strat category. My friends, keep the box, please. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, just just in their Strat category, they had a lot of different they had a lot of variety, and they were very easy to work with. They have a lot of different covers. Like just honestly, shout out to them. They're a fantastic company, um, very affordable, and I can at least say firsthand that the Stratocaster pickups are good. Like, yeah, we don't know about anything else. But don't know Strat, about anything else. But the Strat pickups sound. Guess what? It sounds like a Strat. It sounds like a Strat. Yeah, and and that was the really cool part was to actually like wire this thing up and plug it in to be like. You know, run it through all your amps and be like, yes, this actually does sound like what I think a Stratocaster sounds like. Fantastic. Yeah. But I, I was just so proud, so high on that moment that, like, I realized at that point that I did want to do this. This was something like, it wasn't just going to be a hobby. There's no way. This was so satisfying, so fun. I felt like I had enough knowledge to move forward to be able to figure the rest of this out on my own. And here comes the hard part on me. Because he realizes all this stuff. And he's like, hey, man, I think I'm going to start applying to uh, different musical instrument companies, and I want to try and work somewhere. He's like, I don't care if, you know, I'm sweeping the floor, if I'm sweeping the floor to start out, but, like, I'm applying to places in Minnesota, in whatever. Well, first it was, first it was I wanted to just go to a, a guitar shop and be a tech. Oh, yeah, which you did for a little I bit. I did for a couple of months, and that was I, – I learned some stuff, but it, was, it wasn't it was satisfying. It wasn't what I was looking for. Yeah, so then it came to the, hey, I'm going to get this job, and I don't, I don't care if it takes me away from this area because this is what I want to do, which, people, you need to commit. If, yeah. if you want to do something, you know, if, if you want to be a rock star, guess what? Living in Northwest Indiana is not the place to do it. It's not going to do it, yeah. You know, you have to move to L.A. You know, if you... Well, at the very least, you have to go to that next major city. You have to go to Chicago. You have to go to Nashville or Austin or L.A. or New York. You have to be in those places. I'll give you Nashville and Austin, but... You're not going to get there being being a Muncie. I'm not going to say Chicago just because of how many great bands I know that have come from Chicago. Yeah. That didn't really make it make it you know oh hey we, well, that's true, we, yeah. we did we did one album on insert major label here and yeah but that know, is a lot of bands from a lot of different places you it, know it is it is but the thing is is and eventually everybody goes to la when when you've got your places like la and nashville yeah like those and austin those are the places to be 
Well, still, still, even actually on that point, you are right. Like, eventually, everybody goes to either L.A. or Nashville. That is like that is unless where you are the Smashing or Pumpkins York. or Cheap Trick. Yeah, right. But uh, it that that oh or Chicago. Because Chicago is Chicago. Well, yeah. But then but they actually, stole everybody from everywhere else. <laughs> but that's the point. Like, yeah, all, all those folks who did end up staying in it, they had to go. To, they ended up having to go to L.A. They ended up having to go to, like, Nashville or New York, like Chicago for some reason, which always, which has always baffled me being in the it's so central in the country. The second city. Like, you, f- you figure it would be a prime place to be able to, like, as Tim was saying, um, when it came to touring, being out of Chicago was great because you were within a day's drive of everywhere in the country. Like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, LA, like the West Coast is a little is, a day is and far. A half. Yeah, but you know, especially when you got four dudes who can drive. You know, it's, right. it, hey, you're driving for six hours. I'm driving for six hours. Everybody takes a nap and right. But coming from but, but coming from Seattle and trying to hit literally anywhere else in the country besides the West Coast is a couple of days. Yeah. You know, being you know, in Chicago, you can go to New York in a day. You can yeah. go to Florida. You can go to Texas and Nashville. You know, but we're talking about the rock star thing again. Yeah. You know, where the idea is is there's builders all over the place. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, there's a lot of small companies. There's a lot of small companies, or, and there's know, a lot of huge companies all over the place, too. There are huge companies, but the funny thing is, is some of these companies that are huge companies yeah are still really small companies that have somebody who builds for them right you know like um some of the pedal companies yeah sure you might have 10 people that that work in house Mm -hmm. and you know do different things such as you know your marketing um r&d things like that Mm -hmm. but then oh hey I send my stuff off and there's a plant in California that makes well, the pedals. And, and that's a lot of gu- a lot of guitar companies, a lot of more brand name guitar companies are usually at this point owned by a parent company that is pretty much Fender or Gibson uh like overhead companies that own a lot of these other companies and a lot of those other instruments are either small facilities inside of their big facility or they're overseas made. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. anyways, yeah, so y- you applied to a bunch of different places. Yeah. Well, I had the conversation with my wife, and she was on board with the idea that, you know, wherever this could take you, wherever this could take us, she's on board. She's ready to pack the house up, sell it, and move where we need to move. And, you know, there's options all over the country. But it felt like there wasn't a lot of options, you know, within driving distance of home. And there's... there's Small companies, like very small companies, and there's big small companies. And I sent out just cold call emails to uh, Novo Guitars out in uh, Nashville. Um, I I sent one out to PRS. Uh, I sent, let's see, uh, I want to say I even contact, I even tried to do Taylor, uh, their facility in Montana. Um, Heritage Guitars up in Kalamazoo, uh, and then Lakeland Bass was the only company that was actually within like driving distance of home in Chicago. Yeah, and driving distance, I mean, it's still an, it's an hour drive every single day, but it's 
I don't have to sell my house. I don't have to move across the country. Oh, it was also uh, Crimson was on that list, too, of people that I contacted. And the downfall there was was that it was uh, there, there was an offer and opportunity to work there. But it was the whole visa process, the whole work visa process being, you know, foreigner and this and that that was stepping on their toes. And ironically enough, the moment I did find a job was when they announced that they are going to start doing uh, sponsored visas and stuff for people to come from uh, anywhere in the world to work for them. And, you know, uh, be a teacher or be a luthier or be a toolmaker and stuff. But. So I sent out a bunch of emails uh, to a lot of different people, and there I, I I knew it was a long shot. I knew that you know, what are the chances that they're just going to hire me sight unseen? I'd be able to get a job and move across the country. Like it felt very very unlikely, but it was that dedication. It was like you know what I want to do this. The only way that I can actually properly do this is to get into a building and start learning, and to get a you know to. I don't care if I have to sweep the floors as you were alluding to earlier. Like I just want to be in the building and start seeing professionals building guitars. And so I sent out all it takes is all it takes is a foot in the door, man. I mean, all, all it takes is the dedication and the decision to do it. And you, you can get there because sure enough, like I was oddly enough, I was watching a crimson live stream. It was a couple of weeks after I had sent out a bunch of these emails and th- somebody had asked a question of, uh, like, I-, I had sent an email to-, to you guys, and there wasn't a response. His initial response was some along the lines of, well, I'm just going to have to go to the office tomorrow and roll some heads. You know, not really, but, you know, just figure out where that email is and stuff and get back to you. You know, sorry that happened. Then it clicks in his head, and he says, uh, actually, we're a business, and you should check your spam folder. Because if you're ever expecting, like, a reply or an email from a company – there's a good chance it'll end up in your spam folder because it might just be flagged by your email service as an advertisement or something, as spam. Gotcha. So. <coughs> Bless you. He mentions that. And uh, it nothing. It doesn't ring anything in my head right then and there. Goes on with the rest of the live stream. You know, it, he does his streams on Sunday. Monday, I go to work. You know, just no, another day at a pizza place. Make food and stuff like that. Don't think anything of it been a couple of weeks since i sent out all these emails and then later that night i get home i um hang out wife's cooking dinner i step outside with the dogs and take them out and i'm just sitting there thinking for some reason like it clicks in my head like check your spam folder idiot so i did i opened up my spam folder and sure enough there's an email from lakeland guitars from the president john pericelli offering me a job from two days prior like how serendipitous that that would happen that ben crow would mention on his live stream the day before hey if you're looking if you're waiting for an email from a company check your spam folder i checked my spam folder and two days prior had been emailed about a job offer immediately i respond like well actually i bring the dogs back in i walk in just stunned and my wife asked me am i okay and i tell her what i just got an email from lakeland yeah, I believe I got a text too before yeah. you ended up. And <laughs> no, for real, like, uh, and you both had the same response, like, "Oh, what are you gonna do?" I was like, "I'm gonna respond and see if I can get an interview." Question mark. <laughs> Is that the right thing to do right now? 
And I was like, hell yeah, it yeah. is. So I do. And the next day, I get an email back from him uh, saying, anytime you want to come up, you know, here's you know, here's my phone number. Uh, give me a call and let me know when you're going to come up here or email me. Anytime you want to come up and visit, I'm here Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, you know. Come on in. And so this is now Tuesday. I immediately am like, yeah, okay. Well, I get on the phone to a couple of coworkers of mine. I find somebody to come in to work for me that day. I send them an email and say, I could be there today. I didn't get a response. You know, I'm like, well, he's probably busy or just away from his computer. You know, he's running a company. Who knows? That's why he gave you a telephone number. So I call him and leave him a message, too. And he doesn't answer, so I leave him a message. And I already found somebody to come into work for me. I'm like, you know what? I'm committed to this. I'm just, I don't care if it seems over eager. I'm going. So <laughs> I'm, I, I'm driving to the city. Yeah, I, I leave I, I leave the restaurant. Uh, somebody comes in and finishes out my shift for me. I leave the restaurant. I go home, change out a restaurant, cook clothes into, you know, some more job interviewee kind of nice looking stuff. Stuff that doesn't smell like pizza. Exactly. Oh, my God. I used to hate it when Steve would come over (laughs) after work. Like, I hadn't eaten dinner yet. He'd come over to jam, and we'd be hanging out, and I'd be like, all I smell is pizza. Just wafting cheese and dough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was, I mean, it was was chicken wings. kind of wonderful, but still. Yeah. No, I I could hear your stomach growling from here, usually. But, uh, so I go home, I grab, I I get changed, and I decide, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this guitar with me. So I grab the guitar that I built, that Stratocaster, throw it in a case, and I drive up there. I get no response or anything like that, um, but I did let him know. Like, I let him know in the voicemails, like, I have somebody coming in to work for me. I could, I'll be there early this afternoon. Um, so I leave there. or So I leave. I drive up to the city, and, you know, I show up, and immediately, you know, he, he meets me uh, right away. And we start talking. He sees me holding the guitar case. And he's like, well, what do you got there? You know, as he's, like, explaining somewhat the job opening that's there. And uh, I open the guitar case. I hand him the guitar. I tell him, you know, I just finished making this, you know, a couple of months ago. I was like, I just put a fresh setup on it. And I hand it to him. And he's looking at it. And he's just still talking. Let me know. I was like, yeah, we're a small company. There's only about 10 or 12 of us that work here. One guy is leaving, and he's in our Skyline department, you know, which is our overseas manufactured ones. You know, he runs the Plex machine as well as does setups. And he's telling me all this while he's holding the guitar that I built and just looking it over, and he just stops. He's like, "This is one of the coolest things anyone's ever done for an interview." By the way, this is cool. This is nice. He's like, <laughs> nice. "This is your first guitar. This is the first thing. This is the first time you've ever made an instrument." I was like, "Yep." He's like, "This is cool, dude. Well done." Like. <laughs> All right, well, let me show you around. Like, not even skipping a beat, just like hands the guitar back to me. We start walking around the whole facility. He just he takes me into every room that they that they have in this big uh, industrial building, and uh, you know, show me you know, show me the wood shop downstairs. Show me the CNC room. Then we go back up into the finishing rooms and stuff like that. Walk through the main area, and uh, so we go and. and after that, we go and we sit down in the in the office, and he just he lets me know like the job's yours if you want it. You're I contacted three other people. You're the only one that has responded thus far. He's like, so even if they hit me up, I'm gonna hold the job for you to decide first, kind of thing. Like, and uh, immediately right then and there, I just wanted to say yes. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, he was, he was offering me pay, too. That was that was a raise from what I was making at the time, too. So I was like, no matter like I was ready to say yes. But then he insisted. He's like, go ahead. Take it home. You know, you said you're married. You know, go talk to your wife. Uh, think it over and just get back to me whenever you want. And like, like I said, immediately I wanted to say yes. Immediately I wanted to take the job. I'm like, oh, he, you know, he was kind of insistent on take this home and think about it. So I was like, all right, I will. Well, yeah, that's a dude. I mean, yeah. he's probably he's. I I I don't know John. I you know, but I assume, cool dude, man. But I assume he's got a wife and family, or you know, or at least has had. You don't know, do you? No, I don't know. I'm still I'm still new enough there. I I, I don't I don't think he's married. He might be. Okay, but might be. but still, but okay, everybody so there at, is. So like, at least a lot of people there. A lot you know, of being there being a business owner, yeah. if if you are not married, or haven't been in the past, being a business owner, you know that. Hey, you know what? These people that are married don't get to make the decision yeah. on their own usually. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You, you know, and the thing is, is hey, what's it hurt if I give this dude a day to call me back? You know. Right. So, yeah, so I took it home. You know, I got home, and it was just beaming light. And uh, we, I, I talked, to, talked to my wife, and she's immediately just, yes. We're like, Are, you're taking it, right? Yeah, I'm just – he insisted I take he, – he insisted I take some time to think about it, so I'm just going to call him tomorrow morning and say yes instead of walking out the door going, yes, 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 please. <laughs> so uh, long story short, I guess, that's basically what happened was – I sent out a bunch of emails. I decided I wanted to do this. I worked on it a little bit. You luckily found a place that was close to Just home. Happened to find a place, but it like it wasn't all luck. I mean, it's all. But everything's always a good stroke of luck. No matter what it is, is a touch of luck, and a lot of just dedication and decision. You know, and um, uh, within a week, and and also what was cool about this was this was on a Tuesday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. The job was starting on the 1st of December, which was a week away, literally a week from the day that I accept that I called him the next day, that Wednesday and accepted the job. And uh, the day after I accepted the job was Thanksgiving and I was able to just tell my whole family in one sit down like I did it, guys. Like, I'm working for a company and not only just a guitar company, but the bass guitar company like this company that has been on my radar since i was a teenager just discovering music so if you remember from last episode steve's <laughs> favorite band is incubus indeed it is and ben kenny from incubus you watched them on what the red rock show yeah, was at, there, uh, live at red rocks in 04 and for he, left for murder tour yeah and he he saw this bass and he's like okay you know similar look but that's not a fender headstock yeah. What is that? And then he caught a screen grab and he's like, I can hardly read that. Does that say Lakeland? Yeah. No, that's exactly it. Like, I was like, okay. And from that point, from like 15, 14, 15 years old, I knew what that company was. I didn't know they were out of Chicago until a few years ago, until I met Leo. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and now he has the potential of working on a bass for one of his favorite bass players. Right. Yeah. I mean, we go, we've got, tons of my favorite bass players that are their signature artists yeah. and like we have signature guitar a signature guitar for daryl jones the bassist for the rolling stones like we have tim comerford 
of Raging Against the Machine only plays Lakeland guitars for the last almost 20 years. Yeah. Uh, ben Kenny has been playing Lakeland since before he was with Incubus. Like, if you remember to the last episode, like, those were the three bands that were, like, immensely influential to me in my entire childhood was The Stones, Incubus, and then, you know, once we started playing rock and roll shows and stuff, we were very big fans of Rage Against the Machine. And just, like, if at this point of the realization after a couple of weeks of working there, you know, well, back, you know, when it was just the first couple of weeks of working there, realizing all of that and all those pieces falling into place in my brain and realizing, like, I, I, it feels so much like so serendipitous, you know, it's, you know, but you not just luck. It just, yeah. how much actually went into it and how much actually went into me even understanding from a young teenage age, this company and respecting it from way back when only to find out they're right next door an hour away, but right next door. And they're still a small enough company that I can get in entry level and have my hands on some of these instruments. Like, yeah, and you know, you've got some other really great players. Like, oh, um, now I might get lynched for this one, but Adam Clayton from U two, yeah, no, he's got he's he's another one of our uh, signature guitars. Oh he's yeah, got that, jazz bass, it's fantastic. Um, Ben Jones, who plays with the Neville Brothers, yep, dude. Oh my God, you want to talk about some funk? You know, mm-hmm. dude, dude has it going on. Um, oh, Geezer Butler. Yeah, Geezer Butler's another one. Black Sabbath. He actually just put in an order for a few guitars. One of them being one of our Skylines, which you know that's like, oh my god, I either I'm either going to be the one to put that neck in the Pleck machine, or I'm going to be the one to set that up. And then it goes off to Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath. Yeah, my dad's high school favorite band, Chris Cheney of Jane's Addiction. Yep. You know, I mean, they, they got a huge list of artists, and I mean, I don't know how updated it is, but I know. A lot of those players are diehard, are just dedicated to that company. I know Tim Comerford for sure still is. Like, I watched a rig rundown from him from like a couple of years ago, and he was like pulling all of his Lakelands out, just like, dude, I love this company. I can't believe you know when I found them, I found my I found my soul in guitar form. Like, I mean, look, there's nothing better in the world to me. If I was to be working at a bass company, to work for the bass company that makes basses for Jeff Novak, the bassist from Engelbert Humperdinck, <laughs> just so that you could say, yeah, I work for the company that makes the basses for Engelbert Humperdinck. Amongst other artists. Yes, I got that one in the bag, too. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's the absolute stun of it all was like, out of all the places I could have landed, for sure, like it. it and I I left the door wide open. Yeah, to go to, to go anywhere in the country to go Humperdinck, <laughs> and for it to for it to be that company, for it to be like all this time that I had spent respecting and loving the bass guitar, and on top of that, the bands that I love from my first memories of being a four or five year old fan of the Rolling Stones. To being a teenager, learning how to play guitar a really funky way because of my weird hand, 
and learning so much from Incubus to discovering the bass guitar through them and becoming a huge fan of Rage Against the Machine, becoming a huge fan of a lot. Just it, it just feels so insanely like, you know, I'll say it again, serendipitous that it just happened to be that. Does it also feel, does it also feel like imposter syndrome to you still because you've only, you've only been there for a couple months now? Dude, So three months I've been there, right? Two days ago, I, I sent you the video, right? The video link of the uh, Lakeland uh, yes, the, the HB30. The, 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 guy, the guy on YouTube that tested so, out the yeah. base that you set up. Yeah. So we have a short scale uh, HB uh, uh, hollow body 30-inch scale. And it's kind of like the Lakeland version of a Hofner. That's kind of what it's meant to be, more or less. Um, but you know, a little bit classier. Uh, and a uh, guy came in, picked one up, took it home. And like we have every once in a while, someone comes in and just orders. You know, they buy their instrument through a company like Bass Central or Sweet, or well, not Sweetwater because you have to get it from Sweetwater in order to buy it from Sweetwater, just because they have to do all their inspections and stuff like that. But like companies that are local, like Bass Central and stuff like that. I'm gonna talk to my sales rep when I see if you could just like order a order a. Yeah, if I could pay them, but show up and could go there and get it from you. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah, I'll talk to I'll talk to my sales they don't, associate. The way the way that we have to deal with our instruments that go to Sweetwater, they don't have to do their inspection because we do it for them essentially. Yeah. But uh, so anyways, sorry. But like he, so every once in a while we have somebody who will just come in. Like they'll have purchased their base already. We'll get it in. Like our, especially when it comes to the skylines, there's actually like a pretty decent waiting list for all those instruments. It'll come in. We let the uh, we let the vendors know that their order is going to be fulfilled, you know, within X amount of days. Uh, and then usually if it's already purchased, those vendors, those guitar stores will contact the uh, purchaser and let them know. This guy came in and picked it up. And I remember there was a day that I was doing setups, you know, because me and my uh, me and my coworker, it's just two of us that process. Well, three of us that process all the skylines. Okay. And, uh we alternate days of who's, you know, who's operating the pluck machine and who's uh, doing the setups. So it just happened to be one of the days that I was doing setups. And I, I, I remember this guy coming in. He picked up this bass, picked up one of the hollow body 30 scales, took it home. And then it was about a week later that, you know, Leo came up to me. My coworker, Leo, came up to me and showed me a video of this guy just beaming, holding this thing, uh, doing a review on it and just repeatedly saying over and over again how he had he's been playing bass for 60 years no i thought it was 30 he's he's in his 60s he's been playing bass for a long time i i remember it being like maybe 50 maybe 50 or 40 but regardless sorry long enough and he just beaming over and over stating how every single instrument he's ever gotten brand new out of the box he's had to do a lot of work to he's had to do a lot of setup stuff and you and i know this from being you know lifetime musicians and purchaser of gear that's very common working at a guitar shop uh, working years. at a guitar shop yeah it's very common that you buy an instrument especially if you buy it sight unseen you take it home and you either have to take it to a luthier or do the work yourself but he he was just absolutely ecstatic about the fact that he did not have to touch this thing it was ready to play spot on low smooth action right out of the box pickup heights were set just right like the neck relief was just a little bit perfect like just a little relief that was perfect all that kind of stuff and like to see that already 
just after three months of being there, and then my boss actually, uh, then then John, my boss, yesterday was shown the video. This was two days ago that I was shown it. Yesterday, my boss was shown it, and he actually sent it to me in a text message, and uh, then said, "Keep up the good work." Like nice. just within three months of being there, already to have like my stuff is getting reviewed, my work is getting reviewed online with highly regarded uh, feedback, all this kind of stuff. And then it was also yesterday that one of my other coworkers mentioned that uh, there was a post on a Facebook group of somebody who had recently gotten their skyline and uh, was talking about the setup, was talking about, you know, the fret levels are perfect, like the setup is great. And he said he could see the Plec tag still on, which uh, still on the headstock with my initials on it. It's oh, like, nice. That's so fantastic. Like with two days of each other, just after three months of being there, like already having that kind of like feedback of the work I'm doing and it being work that like at least once a week I'm sitting there going like pinching myself as like, oh, I'm doing this. Yeah. Like Before working there, having set up probably a dozen guitars at most. And then within three months, like over 15 years yeah. or so of playing guitar and then three months of working there, I've done three 400 guitars yeah and that's, <laughs> that's freaking wild <laughs> it's so, insane um so we're just about running out of time um i know last show i i ended by asking you for your top five favorite albums uh-huh now i'm gonna ask you a really weird specific question and you might be the only um the only guest that I'll be able to ask this question to. Okay. How's it look when I get my pants off? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. Bad joke. Bad joke. Um, it looks like the inside of my eyelids, man. Every time. So anyways, no. Other, Very. other than the records that you already have at your house of mine, what album in my record collection would you want to take home to listen to? Oh. It's been a while since I flipped through them, but yeah, yeah I, also, I also don't know exactly what I have at home of yours. Um, oh, probably Zeppelin three. I think you have that. I do have Zeppelin three. I've got the Zeppelin three with the spinning. Yeah. It's a uh, original pressing. Uh, my, my buddy Don gave it to me mm. that. Yeah, that was really cool. Hey, that's a that's a good pick. I mean, I mean, Mark Tom Travis show. I was also up there. Oh, wife would listen to that one with me too. That's a good <laughs> one. Um, so with that, um, me and Steve, we're gonna let you guys go. I want to give a shout out to Grant and Karen of Big Ear Pedals and Blake from the Tone Mob Podcast because we're getting ready to plug in the slice of pie fuzz that I got in the mail the other day and me and Steve are going to have a blast here. So it looks delicious. It does look delicious. So, Hey, thanks for having us in your ears. I'm John. I'm Steven. And this was staging a podcast. Mm -hmm.